love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Mayhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. I'm ready to go when I think. Here we go. And welcome back to the show. Very excited, as I said in the open, to have on Kyle Coster. He is the editor-in-chief of The Big Lead. You see it right there, TBL. What's going on, Kyle? How are you? Not much. Busy yeah. life, busy life, but uh, always, always got time to talk sports and media. My two loves, and they throw a little pop culture in there. Three loves. Uh, we, we we may do do just that. It's like you know what questions are coming or something crazy. Um, so you wrote a column, uh, actually, I think while right after this has happened, after two left Thursday night football, uh, with that concussion, and I think you know you and you wrote the piece had Derry look look away from the two Tunga Vailoa by lower replays. Um, I think, as I said to you earlier, you had a really smart take on it, but before we talk further, tell the listeners what, uh, what was your general takeaway from what happened Thursday and what the discourse has been in the ensuing days? You know, I think it's really interesting because I think a few years ago, kind of a switch flipped in me where I was less interested in my own opinion, mm-hmm. but more interested in how other people are experiencing things and arriving at their conclusions. Uh, it saved me a lot of time and energy from trying to convince people that I'm right about it. But basically what happened, and you're right, I did write it in the moment. Like as soon as it happened, I, like everybody else, was kind of horrified by it. And it's something that nobody wants to see. And the one way, the one lens that I have for understanding how other people are experiencing things is Twitter. And that's yeah. an extremely imperfect in terrible way, but it's really the only real time right. metric that we have to look at, okay, what's the communal experience here? And I noticed quickly that as he was still on the ground and Amazon was showing replay after replay, quickly the focus turned to telling Amazon not to show this replay, that people didn't want to see the replay, that it was gratuitous or gross. And I felt that that was identifying a very easy boogeyman in this situation and certainly Mm -hmm. not the main villain. And you have to understand that this injury happened four days after we saw Tua sustain a blow and go down and crumple like a sack of potatoes. And they said it was his back, but everybody at home is discussing, well, that sure looks like a head thing. So leading into the game, the discussion, which I think has been a bit retconned where people are saying, Nobody was saying Tua shouldn't have played. That's actually not true. Everybody was kind of talking about, hey, it's weird that Tua is playing so quickly after sustaining this. Does that seem safe? So it was like the perfect storm of this event where you don't want it to happen. But then it felt so inevitable as he was laying there. And then for the folks to shift so quickly that this would be Amazon's fault for showing the replay, which I think was really a rare, honest moment about what football is Mm -hmm. and over and over hammering people and showing what's extraordinarily uncomfortable and so visceral as he lays on the ground and the 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 hit itself was basically like he was ragdolled and and just everything about it was awful his finger curling oh yeah gross to watch yeah to me it just felt like the perfect moment of no this is the rare window into what we're actually addicted to. Right. And I don't have any answers about what's right and wrong and my own involvement and all that stuff. But I just felt like if not this moment, 
than win because everything was engineered to have it laid in front of people so clearly and for them to so quickly shift to something yeah. else that seemed besides the point yeah didn't really sit well with me and yeah. it's, it's interesting when you write something in the moment you never know how it's going to age but that's how i felt at the moment and that's it's largely how i still feel today even as time has gone on and, and we know that the injury is not as serious as we feared and thank god yeah, uh, yeah, but I mean, I think it still is right on. Amazon is scapegoated, and if you say Amazon's not at fault, then who is at fault, Kyle, for what we saw happen Thursday? Football's at fault. Yeah. This is what football is. And at some point, a lot of people have either not realized it or realized it and just decided to ignore it. And that's perfectly right. fine. If you yeah. don't want to deal with the right. complicated issues of what football is and what it does to the people that play it, I don't have, I'm not going to tell people how to live their lives. Like this isn't a morality contest. It's not shaming them for doing it. But if you're curious about your experience and, and how you contextualize this thing, what you're addicted to and what it does to the bodies of the people who play it, yep. then you owe yourself at least a moment to be like, am I complicit in what form or fashion in this? So I think that we're all kind of complicit. And again, like I'll go back to that term, perfect storm. Tua wants to play. The Dolphins want him to play. Fans right. want him to play. Everybody wants him out there. And then when what was the most logical and, and realistic outcome happens, the prayer emojis come out. And it just seems so – Thank God. It seems so empty to me that oh you do so prayer empty. emojis for an injury like that, but then also when someone tweaks their knee in the NBA Finals. And I just kind of wanted to like challenge people to go a little bit deeper – and ask themselves oh, a question yeah. of, of where do we fit in what is this unstoppable machine at this point? No, the prayer emoji is definitely performative grief. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, you know, I think the main issue with the NFL is concussion protocol. And there's been so much talk over the last week. The fact is, it's human nature. You don't want, if you don't want to find something, you can generally find a way to not find it. And that's the independent neurologist concussion spotters we can have all these people on the sidelines but the fact of the matter is you won't find something that you don't want to find and that's why Kyle I feel like so much of this concussion discussion going back to the movie almost 10 years ago when this stuff really reached it seemed like a fever pitch while the lawsuit was going on I'm kind of tired of it because we can all oh, put up our prayer emojis on Twitter and bemoan the NFL and how evil this is and Mike McDaniel oh what an outdated mentality he has and all that is true, but the fact of the matter is it didn't affect the ratings this Sunday. We'll all continue to watch, and I get, I understand we all can voice our displeasure about what's going on and would prefer players to not get put in with head injuries, but as you were saying, like that's football, and we're really just talking in circles at this point. That's how I feel. It does feel unproductive, and maybe yeah. it's not unproductive, but maybe the better phrase is inevitable, okay? Like, right. Like what's going to happen? Like it's the NFL. It's unstoppable. Nothing can stand in its way. And right. again, it's like, it's a big business. And this is just, you know, another window into how the world works. And do we feel yucky about participating in these systems? Yes, we do. Do we want to take that step completely of removing ourselves from it? A lot of people are going to stop short of that because why deny yourself something? Right. And, and, and I just want to make something perfectly clear. Like I know that part of the piece was pushing people to think about their own involvement, but I think too often 
the window is spun around and it's the little people and the people who are passively observing who become the bad guys in this. Um, but that's not, that's not really the case. I mean, it just, we feel, I think that we all kind of deep down know that we're powerless to this. Yeah. So even the people with the best intentions know that they're kind of shouting into the void and maybe that's cathartic um, yeah. and they, they get something out of it. But just the whole thing, just, you know, it, it just seems so bleak to that we can get to a point where the news comes down that Tua has feeling in all of his extremities and that's right. it's a major win. Like how low is the bar that we're, yeah. what, 14 million people are watching this and we're yeah. like, yes, he, yeah, he's, he's not, not paralyzed. paralyzed. Like right. we got to demand like just a little yeah. bit better for, for all involved. Do we not? Uh, he was also laughing at McGruber on the flight home. So he was he was in good shape, Kyle. Um, and I want to switch to Amazon here because Amazon, in addition to showing the replay over and over again, they got crushed for not really addressing the crux of the Tua situation on its halftime show or during the broadcast that the, the factor is he you know did suffer that injury Sunday and there was doubt whether he should have even played Thursday. But to go back to the point about talking in circles, like, you know, we have this complaint all the time, NFL broadcasters not talking about domestic violence. I remember, uh, I think it was Al Michaels who totally whitewashed the Sean Watson situation just a couple weeks before that. But the fact is Amazon pays the NFL a billion dollars a year. You know, these are all business partners. Like, again, I, we can all wail into our Twitter feeds about, oh, how awful it is that these NFL broadcasters aren't highlighting the dangers of the sport and ripping the dolphins for not following protocol or what have you. But like, you know, they're, they're a billion dollar business partners. Like, what do you expect? That's kind of the point that I'm at with this stuff too. Yeah. I think we need to set realistic expectations yeah. because in a perfect world, it would be great to get some context and some nuance and have a thought provoking broadcast, but that's not why we tune in. That's not why everybody tunes in. And even someone like myself who would be open to having that discussion, I'm not so sure I want it during the game. I think it is weird that we move on. Uh, and the announcer in the stadium says it's third down. Like that's kind of bleak, but like we all know our role to play in this. And it's to briefly think about this human being who has suffered what could have been catastrophic and disastrous injury, but then it's to move on because, you know, there's a game at play. We have our bets. We have our fantasy lineups Uh, at the big lead. We're looking for further content, you know, to, to pay our bills. Like, I don't think that it's particularly fair to ask like Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet to be ready to go on the spot with like what this means and to turn it into a podcast. Yeah. They basically kind of are like trying to move things along. Maybe the right. bigger complaint could have been with the halftime show, which didn't really dive into it. And I know that Amazon got crushed by that, f- crushed for that. But they did come back in the post came and I think did a pretty good job in discussing what needed to be discussed, whether that's a reaction to the feedback they were getting on social media. It it doesn't really matter because it was the right editorial decision. I think that too often we're easy to crush and rip people who are on live TV for not having the exact right answers when all of us are sitting at home. Uh, You know, I did write a blog. I mean, I don't know if that was helpful, but you know what I mean? Like, it, we're not the ones who are in front of millions and millions of people trying to figure it out on the fly. And live broadcasting is so hard anyway. And you know that once they go down that road, I, I, the last thing I'll say on this, once they were to go down that road, you know that everybody in that production truck, everybody in the C-level suites are just going to be like, 
oh God, please don't say the wrong thing. Like it's going to be a white knuckle ride. So I, you understand why they err on the side of caution and not going too far down the road. Even if I think what would be fair is to at least address the elephant in the room sure. sooner because there's more people watching the broadcast than are watching the post game. I'd like to see Kirk Herbstreit fire up a blog and fire out a blog in the middle of Thursday night football. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I agree for the most part. Um, but I do wish, and I think I tweeted this when the Deshaun uh, Watson thing a couple weeks ago, where Al Michaels just used all these euphemisms to describe, you know, his situation, what was going on. I would almost just wish that they don't talk about that stuff at all. You know, if you're just going to completely whitewash it, not talk, you know, not mention at all, you know, the the women, the se- then, then don't even don't even mention it is kind of where I fall on that thing because they, they, they just get embarrassed time and time again. And it's an unnecessary look because, as you said, I don't need Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit to tell me why Deshaun Watson is out. I know that. Like, why do it? I guess is where I fall now on that stuff. Yeah, but I think that they would get crushed for totally ignoring. That's true. So it's, you know, you know, you're in a no-win situation. Uh, yeah. Oddly enough, there's been so many practice runs for this. Right. On Sunday, you're gonna deal with some player who has been involved in some sort of unfortunate, for lack of a better word, situation or complication off the field. Largely, that's code for something that they did and put themselves in right. situations for. But at the same time, I'm not really sure if it's really the place to relitigate something that is either in front of like the criminal justice system or is being dealt with dealt with for like NFL punishment, because you get in the same situation with concussions. Like it's going to take some time to get to a nuanced conversation here. And one thing you don't have a lot of in a live broadcast is time. What with the 25 second play clock. That's true. Yeah. And I don't think we necessarily need Tony Romo's thoughts, for example, on sexual assault, sexual misconduct. I, I think we can have him stick to predicting plays. Um, so you're the editor in chief of the big lead, Kyle. I'm sure you've written a lot of stories and published a lot of stories over the years on Tom and Giselle and what's going on there. So, uh, reportedly they've obtained, uh, retained divert d- divorce attorneys. Uh, my question to you is what part of any part of this story do you find the most interesting? You know, we've been ignoring it per se, because I think as I've gotten older I, I'm, I i can see the complications of of being married and having kids and knowing how hard that it is it does seem from the public figure perspective that he chose going back into football right. knowing that it would potentially worsen things with his situation at home and we should be really careful and not making assumptions that that's true but from all the reporting that does seem to be a major sticking point and i think the most interesting part to me is that people are assessing whether it's worth it for tom brady based on what the tampa bay buccaneers record is where i can assure you i can assure you that doesn't matter to him right now like I know he wants to win. I know that he is the most competitive person in the world, but I can assure you that football is very secondary to him right now. And I I actually kind of think that I want to get your opinion on this. I actually think that we've shown some progress in, in how this story's been handled. Um, I know that tabloids are out there pretty quick with it, uh, but it seems like we've moved on to being like marital issues aren't as much our business right as it was before even in the blog game maybe 10 years oh ago. So yeah maybe like, 
maybe like that is the secondary aspect too, where it's almost like I'm not telling the guys don't touch it, but it's almost just like we're we're most of us are married. Uh, most of us have kids. It's kind of just like, you know what, like the guy's dealing with enough to not, to not have, um, cheap shots taken his way. So, you know, like, I guess everybody can mature in a way, but it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. That it's going to remain a story and you know how the masses deal with the story. Even if you want to make a light joke about it, that isn't mean spirited. That just goes on top of the people who are being like actually outwardly nasty about it. Yeah. So all these smart ass, you know, millennials are now, you know, older millennials with kids is what, is what you're saying. All these. Uh, and, and I think that is true. And you're right. The culture has changed a lot. Um, I mean, I think the, it's a much different story, but even like looking back at the way something like Manti Teo was covered, for example, uh, 10 years ago, wouldn't, wouldn't even be close now. The way the gay issue was thrown around in kind of an accusatory fashion even. Uh, yeah, we've changed a lot there. Um, but, you know, I think, I guess, my most interesting part of it and what I think, you know, is relevant to Brady today, Brady, the football player, Brady, the public person is he really loves football. I mean, he, as you said, probably went into the season knowing Giselle, you know, as far back as 2017 publicly was talking about the dangers of football, you know, Tom Brady concussions, her worry about that. Um, But the fact that he came back this season for age 45 with all that going on just shows that he's really a maniac. You know, on the field, like, he really is. He's not kidding. It is football for him. This is this is his real outlet. And I think from a psychological perspective, to play armchair psychologist here, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, because we hear about this, okay? And and yeah. but we never really see it in practice and we don't really see the stakes that it has. Like if Tom Brady wanted to be maniacal about football, we don't understand what that comes at a cost of. Now right. we see what it can come what can be lost by being maniacal about football. And, and it's really interesting too, because that's another fetish that um, goes into your football coverage, right? You have the head coach who works 22 hours a day and sleeps at his office. And it's just well, like, Mike McDaniel, I hate to, Mike McDaniel a few weeks ago said that he used to not shower for like five days. Cause he was so busy. And it's like, that's something that you're going to brag about. Really? Sounds gross. You can think about football in the shower. I've done it. Uh, I'm not that smart. You know, I'm not that good at multitasking. I pulled it off. But, you know, it's like we hear that they're singularly focused, um, but you don't really understand what that means. And so oftentimes it's like presented as like a feel good story. Uh, This is why they're a winner, because they're so committed to it, where we have enough evidence that people who weren't insane about their training regimens have won championships. Obviously Tom Brady is, uh, but he's, you know, he's, he's kind of a unicorn in so many ways. So I, it's, I don't know where we're going uh, in, in that department. Um, And I don't know how much there is to actually meet on that bone to talk about what it is, but I wonder if we're going to go in years in the future and look at some of these stories. I'm sure we're going to, because you can see how, many other issues have been covered and they don't age well. And a lot of people have things, you know, people grow um, and and they see the light on a lot of things and and improvements are made, but in the moment we're really not good at understanding like the full picture of what we're actually reporting, what's a positive and what's a negative. Uh, Let me ask you quick and you can cut this part out too, is what's the reception to this story in Boston? Uh, I think people are largely on Brady's side of things. 
you know, Giselle, what's she, what's she so upset about? You know, he's home half the year anyway. I think that's where a lot of people fall on it, though. It is interesting that Brady has lost uh, a fair amount of clout around here, especially with his retiring, unretiring. So maybe not as fervent a defense if he were still with the Patriots, but I still think the, uh, a lot of the sports crowd falls on Brady's side of things. But that's not surprising, is it, Kyle? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, Kyle Coster, thanks for coming on, man. This was great. Yeah, I appreciate it. And 